0: Welcome to the show, my name is James Nielsen-Watt and in this show we interview interesting, inspiring and successful people so you can learn the secrets to success and can play the game of life, business, health and happiness better. And the philosophy we take here is if I'm leveling up my game, you get to level up yours as well. So get ready to listen to some inspiring people who have figured out how to have success in all areas of life health, happiness, wealth, business. We're gonna be interviewing them in this show so that you can learn the secrets to success that they share with practical advice that you can take and use today. So if you enjoy the show, please subscribe, please leave us a review, and please share it with your friends because if I can help you and you can help others, then we can help more people together and we can all level up our game together. My guest today is Dr. John Demartini, a world-renowned specialist in human behavior, a researcher, author, and global educator. He's developed a series of solutions applicable across all markets, sectors, and age groups, and is the founder of the life-changing personal development process, The Demartini Method. His education curriculum ranges from corporate empowerment programs, financial empowerment, self-development programs, relationship solutions, and social transformation programs. He shares life, business, financial relationship and leadership empowerment strategies and empowerment tools that have stood the test of time. He studied over 30,000 books across all the defined academic disciplines and has synthesized the wisdom of the ages, which he shares on stage in over a hundred countries. Some of the more well-known companies Dr. Demartini has spoken to are IBM, Southwestern Bell, Teneco, AARCO, Shell Oil Company, Oppenheimer Funds, Merrill Lynch, Asante Financial Corporation, and many more. Dr. John Demartini's vision is to contribute to the expansion of human potential globally, to seek out and activate further educational opportunities in every country and to empower and awaken leadership in others. Welcome to the show, uh, John. Super excited to have you on. I'm glad you could join us. Thank you for having me. I
1: appreciate it. I was looking forward to it.
0: We always sort of meet at a certain level uh, with people, right? especially in, in sort of interviews and things like that. Yeah, we've, we've achieved a lot of things. Uh, we're not generally meeting people at the start of their journey, but I'd love to know your backstory, especially for those who don't know about it, because I think it can bring a lot of hope. I think a lot of us are on our journey and sometimes we're sort of looking into the void, so to speak, of not knowing what's possible. And We're going through struggles and things. Tell us about your backstory and what got you on your journey.
1: I was born with my arm and leg turned inward. And at age one, I started, well, age, about one and a half, I had to start wearing a brace on my arm and leg when I started to stand up. I also had a speech impediment and had to put strings and buttons in my mouth as a kid. When I was four, I got out of the braces, and all I wanted to do was run. When I got to six, going into first grade, I found out that I had learning disabilities even further, and dyslexia. I couldn't read. I didn't really read until I was 18. You learn how to read properly. I made it through elementary school with the smartest kids by asking questions. If I asked them questions, and they answered them i would get enough information to kind of pass at 12 my parents moved from houston texas to richmond texas which was a low socioeconomic area i didn't have a bunch of smart kids and i was by then more into sports than learning and i picked up surfing and baseball and i didn't have the smart kids and so i ended up failing and dropping out of school so i became a street kid at age 13 I lived in a bowling alley, I lived in a park, I lived in an abandoned car. I lived different places. I eventually hitchhiked to California when I was 14, so I could surf, and down into Mexico. So at 14, I went down to Mexico, and 15, I decided to go to Hawaii. And I lived under a bridge there, and then I lived in a park bench and in a bathroom and another abandoned car. and then I lived. Uh, in a tent. I was a long-haired hippie surfer kid in the late 60s, early early 70s. You got to ride big waves. You got to really surf with some of the big waves. I mean, some of the big wave riders I got to know and surf with. Then I nearly died at 17 from strychnine cyanide poisoning. And I almost died on a wave, actually, a big wave. And then I was recovering from that, and that led me to a little... Whole food store and to a little yoga class, and that's where I met a, a man named Paul Bragg, who one night in one hour inspired me and believed that I could overcome my learning problems. That was the first night in my life I really thought maybe I could overcome my learning problems and actually learn how to read and speak properly, and that was the night I had a dream to overcome those and someday be intelligent. I never thought I was going to be intelligent. I I was intelligent when it came to surfing, physiologically intelligent, but not academic, not formally intelligent. And that was the night I made a decision that I I want to do that. And I saw a vision of me doing that. And that led me to eventually fly back to California, hitchhike back to Texas, take a GED, high school equivalency test, and guess and pass just guessing I mean it was just purely a guess somehow I passed that thing and I had me a high school degree then I tried to go back to go to school from that point on and I failed again and then I was really distraught and my mom found me on the living room floor crying because I was really having an internal conflict about do I go back and ride big waves or do I try to go forward on this thing called learning and my mom said something to me that I needed to hear that day. She said, son, whether you become a great teacher and philosopher like your dream, whether you return back to Hawaii and ride giant waves like you've done, or return to the streets and panhandle as a bum, I just want to let you know that your father and I are going to love you no matter what. And when she said that, I needed to hear that. And my hand went into a fist, and I said to myself, I'm going to master this thing called reading and studying and learning. And I'm going to do whatever it takes, travel, whatever distance, pay whatever price to give my service of love across the planet. I'm not going to let any human being on the, on the face of the earth stop me, not even myself. I got up and I hugged my mom. I went in my room and I got a dictionary out. And I um, decided I was going to memorize that dictionary 30 words a day. And with the help of my mom, we did that. And I learned and grew my vocabulary 30 words a day until I was able to do some reading and be able to pass school. And then I just kept doing that. And I started to not only pass, but I started to excel. And then from there on out, I was like, you couldn't get me out from under a book. I was, I started reading 20 hours a day, meditating for four hours a day and reading for 20 hours a day or going to school and reading. And um, I started having people ask me questions and I started tutoring. I started my career as a teacher at age 18 shortly after, and lo and behold, 49 years later, here I am. I, uh, I set out to uh, travel the world and step foot in every country in the face of the earth and share whatever I learned with people, and I've been in 154 countries speaking, and I travel full-time around the world. I'm kind of a homeless guy still today because I live on a ship that goes around the world where I live in a plane, and I love it. My journey of, of having a void with learning led to me wanting to learn and teach as much as I could. My void of speaking wanted me to speak. The very thing my first grade teacher said, I'm, I'm afraid she told my parents that I would never be able to read, write, or communicate, and the mountain thing to go very far in life. Turned out that's what I ended up excelling in. So that's my journey. I started out with a bit of a void. I'm very grateful for all of those because I... I firm believer that anything you can't say thank you for is baggage. Anything you can say thank you for is fuel. So as far as I'm concerned, all that was exactly what I needed to do what I'm doing today. And I'm very grateful for my life today, getting to do what I do. So I'm a full-time teacher and researcher today.
0: That's incredible. You you said a few things that really hit home for me. and And, and I'd love to get your view on this. We hear a lot where people have these sort of, these, these, external moments or experiences that often trigger a shift and, and, and then they head in a different direction and, and either they, they go down or they go up. Talk to us about that. Do you think that it's more that external trigger or an internal response to it? And do you think that we need that or can we manufacture it in, in a positive way to give us a boost, especially if we're feeling stuck in our current path?
1: I believe that the, we have three things we have control over our perceptions, decisions, and actions. And whatever happens to us, we can become victims of history. We can become masters of destiny out of it. It's a choice. If you choose to run your story about how it's in the way, it'll be in the way. If you choose to run how it's on the way, you'll be on your way. So it's totally up to how you perceive it. We like to be victims of history and blame things on the outside. But I don't think that blaming is ever going to get you anywhere. But I do believe that aiming will get you anywhere. So instead of blaming, it's time to aim. Aiming is, is way more powerful than blaming. So I think it's wise to focus on how you want your life and start doing the actions that move you in that direction. And you have less to blame. <laughs> you start building momentum in the direction of what is inspiring to you. And you find out that the if you don't fill your day with high priority actions that inspire you, your day is designed to fill up with low priority distractions that don't. And I really believe that the events in your life are all part of the experience. I believe that everything that you that happens in your life, physiologically, psychologically, sociologically, or even theologically, is actually getting you to be authentic and to be assisting you in building momentum towards an extraordinary life. So I like to look at life that way. And that way I keep a journal of my gratitudes on a daily basis. I think I have the largest gratitude journal of anybody I've ever met on earth. It's uh, Thousands and thousands and thousands of pages, and I keep record of it every single day. In fact, you're already in it. I had the opportunity to be on your podcast, so I'm a firm believer that if we if we focus on how we want it and how we how we would like our life to be, and take the the action steps to move towards it, and keep that at the forefront of our thoughts, amazing things start opening up. The doors of opportunity keep opening.
0: I I, I couldn't agree more. I I definitely feel myself that whenever for lack of a better term, there's, there's an inauthenticity about a thought or a feeling or an action that it, it creates a pressure and a tension that that you have to fight against. And I notice this with people around me, uh, with clients and definitely myself. And so I've sort of tried to be more and more open over the years to that feeling that I, for me, it's a, it's a physical feeling. I feel a, a resistance or an energy or a tension. And I realize maybe I'm not in alignment with that thought, that feeling. And whenever I've done that, it's allowed me to you put it well with being authentic, is that it, it just felt more smooth. It just felt more easy. A lot of us would have an easier time if we realized that we're creating it.
1: I think if you don't fill your day with challenges that inspire you, it's designed to fill up with challenges that don't. And pursuing challenges that inspire you is a hermetic hormesis response, which actually breeds a youth-stressed response, which is wellness. And if you attract challenges you don't want, you get distressed. And the distressed response is just feedback to let you know you're not being authentic. You're not really pursuing what's deeply meaningful. Everybody has a set of priorities, a set of values in their life. And when they're pursuing what's really, really important to them, deeply meaningful, that inspires them, that contributes and serves others in a sustainable way, uh, you have fulfillment. And life gives you feedback. (laughs) You're in the zone. You're in the flow, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I know... For 49 years, I've been teaching, and I know that's what I love. I, just, I, just know, I don't wonder about it. I don't question about it. I already know I'm a man on a mission, and that mission has 49 years of spontaneous actions towards it. I think the universe is really helping us. I don't, I don't see a hostile universe out there that's against me. I see the magnificence of the universe working in my behalf to help me fulfill my dreams and why would you want to see life any other way why would you want to see life in the way when you can see it on the way and it's all perception people think well it's an event out there that's a terrible event there is no terrible event there's an event you mm-hmm. can choose to make it terrific or terrible or neutral you know as as john milton the the poet says you know you can make a heaven out of a hell or a hell out of a heaven it's up to you i choose to see both sides to things but if you're neutral You don't fear the loss of the things you seek, and you don't fear the gain of the things you're trying to avoid, and you're not living in avoidance and seeking. The Buddha says the desire for that which is unobtainable, one side of a magnet, and the desire to avoid that which is unavoidable, the other side of the magnet, is the source of human suffering. So when we keep trying to get rid of half of life and only get one side of life, we won't embrace the mindfulness of life. So I'm a firm believer in having a, a balanced orientation and being neutral on it and not seeing things as good or bad, but seeing things as neither and seeing mm-hmm. things as something that's actually there for me to fulfill my life and master life. And some people just don't want to see it that way. And they want to torture their life away. And I thought that's, that's up to you, but I'm, I'm very grateful for my life. I've been doing it for 49 years and, and I uh, can't complain. I got a pretty, pretty good deal now.
0: Well, now based on what you said, you know, I always ask people, what's a, what's a failure that shaped you, right? But that's just a, a, a an experience or a perception of an experience so i'll, I'll ask it differently for you yeah. what's an experience that you? yeah exactly right what's 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 an experience well, yeah, I've had you more, thousands recently, of more recently you
1: know the, as long as as long as you're addicted to what you think success is you're going to have fear of failure if you understand that you're going to be proud and shamed simultaneously in order to keep yourself centered if you're proud you're cocky and you're not being yourself if you're ashamed you're humble you're not being yourself if you put the two together you get to be yourself so success and failure and pride and shame and positive and negative when they're synthesized and put together at the same time you're authentic when you're trying to avoid one and seek the other you're going to be in futility so i'm not i'm not it's just like getting into a relationship and you infatuate with somebody at first you're conscious of the upsides and blind to the downsides and then days weeks months years or decades you discover oh they're not who i thought and then you think oh my god this this terrible event has occurred in days, weeks, months, years, or decades. You find out, thank God, that occurred. Why wait for the wisdom of the ages with the aging process? Because you can have the wisdom of the ages without it by looking right now for both sides. That's all life's going to teach you to see both sides of an event. You get this guy that, you know, I, I went with this girl the other day. And she was consulting with me. And I and she said, I've, I found this man that is all happy. And, and I said, okay. And then all of a sudden he turned he started showing this other side. I said, well, you had a fantasy about who he was. The very trait you admire also has downsides, but you were blind to it during your infatuation phase. You know, if he's really intelligent, maybe he likes to argue with and he'd be right and, and, and tell you what to do. And if he's good looking, maybe everybody else thinks he's good looking and you got to compete with them all the time. Or they want to look in the mirror at themselves more than you. Or maybe they're a great socializer and they don't have time for you. They're, they're talking all the time. There's always two sides to the trait that you admire and despise or despise and admire. Look for both sides, be mindful, see both, and be neutral, and you don't feel the loss of that which you seek, and you don't feel the gain of that which you avoid, which are the two primary fears and stresses in life. And life's pretty amazing when you get more resilient and adaptable in that, in that state of mind.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Uh, what's, your,
0: what's your take then, while we're talking about this, on the biggest differences between those who create moderate success in whatever they're pursuing compared to those who create massive amounts of success in whatever whatever they're pursuing, the kind of the upper uh, ranges of that bell curve?
1: I had this doctor that came to me many years ago and he said, Dr. DiMartini, I'd like to hire you to consult with you to help me become successful. And I said, great. I said, so where are you successful? He said, well, I'm not successful. I want to be successful. And I said, great. So where are you successful? He said, Dr. Martini, you're not hearing me. I'm not successful. I want you to help me be successful. I said, great. You're not hearing me. I'm asking where are you successful? He said, but I'm not. I said, my certainty exceeds your doubt. Let's look at where you're doing what you say you wanted to do and are accomplishing what you're intending. He stopped and he reflected. He goes, okay, I have an amazing relationship with my wife, and I guess that's a success. We've been together for 10, going on 11 years, and we have an amazing relationship. And I guess I had that dream to have a you know a loving wife, and by God, I got one. I said, great. Where else are you successful? He goes, well, my son, he's 10 years old. He's in baseball, and I'm a coach in addition to my business, and we're probably going to win the pennant this year. We're probably going to win the, the awards this year. And that's, that's a success, because I did intend that. Good. What else are you doing that's successful? Well, my mother in law lives with us, and most people don't get along with their mother in law, but they, she lives with us, and she's amazing, and she's like a real mother to me, and and it's real, it's really great to have her there. She helps with the kids, and she helps around the house, and and I said, great. What else? Well, we all work in the yard, and we have the most beautiful flowers and beautiful gardens, and and the whole family works together, and we are a tight knit family, and we work, and we're we're going to probably get the yard of the month again for the month, and um, yeah. And what else you he got success? Well, I do services. I'm kind of a minister on Wednesday and Sundays at my, at my church. And I, you know, I set out to do that when I'm 20. And here I am, I get to do it. And when I made a list of these so-called successes he had, and he had been minimizing those, I said, the only reason why you're not honoring your success is because you're comparing yourself to somebody else. Because when you compare yourself to other people, you don't appreciate what you have. I said, so who are you comparing yourself to? Do you think it's got the success that you think you're looking for? He looked, he goes, I think I know who that is. I said, what is it? Who, this guy up on the hill, farther up the road here, he's got a 6,000 square foot house, three-car garage, big practice, lots of cars, lots of money. Yeah, he's, yeah, I guess I'm comparing myself to him. I said, great. You know him very well? Yeah, I know him. So you got a wife and kids? Yeah okay, how's his relationship with his wife? Well, it's interesting you ask. It's very volatile and they break up and they get back together again. They scream at each other and they leave and they separate and they get back together again. And it's crazy. It's like insane almost. I said, great. Does he have a son? Yep. And is he in baseball? No. What's his relationship with his son? Um, Yeah, they're having problems with him in school and he's experimenting with drugs. He's just a young teenager and and yeah, they're, they're, he's a handful right now, and they're, they're having some fun with him. I said, great. And, and what about the mother-in-law? Oh, they moved out of the country to get away from her. I mean, that's that's something they just, the husband will absolutely not be around the mother-in-law. Can't, she can't even come visit the house. And what about the yard? Do they, do they take care of the yard? Oh, no, they have people to take care of it. I don't think they even notice their yard. They don't pay attention. They don't work in their yard at all. And what about uh, Sunday school and, and Wednesdays and, and Sundays? They do Sunday church things. No, he's not much of that. He's usually working at least six days a week, and, and then he's sometimes golfing. And I said, I got a question for you. See, right now, you think that he's successful and you're not. But the real reality is he's got a different set of values than you. He's got a higher value on business and finance and a lower value on family and spirituality. You've got a high value on family and spirituality and a lower on business and finance. He's not more achieving and successful than you. He has a different form of it. He would probably wish he could have what you have in the family. You probably wish he what he could have in the business. But anytime you expect to live in somebody else's values, you end up beating yourself up. We're not here to compare ourselves to other people. We're here to compare our own actions to our own priorities and be honest with what our values are. And that means setting goals that match our values or changing our values to match new goals. So if you want to change some values and increase the probability of business and finance so you're now moving in that direction, just know that if you do, you may be less time for these other things that you now value. Are you sure you want that? He goes, well, I have to stop and think about that. I would like to have a little bit more income. And I said, well, I can show you how to increase your business and income enough to how it will help you fulfill your family and time with them by prioritizing and delegating things But I just want to let you know, don't try to be this man. Envy is ignorance and imitation is suicide. You think people are more successful than you. They have a different set of pains and pleasures than you. They don't have it better than you. I've worked with celebrities, extremely wealthy people, sleepy, influential people. They have problems you don't want to face. That's why they're in that position and you're in your position. If you're not willing to embrace the challenges that they face to have the achievements that they have, Don't expect to one side without the other. And they have problems that you may not want to face. People think that there's a greener pasture out there, but there's not.
0: Why do you think, and maybe my perception is off with this, but why do you think that it's easy for us to see or perceive greener pastures and how we have problems and where we are? They must not because they have this, because we see it a lot especially with, uh, with wealth, but also however you wish to categorize various people. We're always looking at the things that they may have that we don't. And I think it affects a lot of people. Where do you think that comes from?
1: Well, it goes all the way back to a very early, early stage of socialization, possibly hundreds of thousands of years ago. We don't know whether we came from a multi-regional hypothesis or out of Africa hypothesis, but somewhere along the line, some human being had to occur. Whether it evolved from a primate or somehow it was manifested independently, this has been still debated. But, but did it, if it started in one location, then the question is, is, how did the man and woman find each other to procreate and bring offspring? That's an interesting one. Where the probability of them being in one location is amazing. But let's say they did. They didn't do well one-on-one as easily as one on a group. Because each group the different people had different specialties. One was a good hunter, one was a good weaver, one was a good clothes maker, one could fix food. And the more they grew and the more diversity of specialties and more they got more proficient at that, the more we depend on other people. But at the same time, the more we end up with a higher standard. So there was a yearning for efficiency and standards to do. And with that came the fear of us being dependent on all these other people. So then we end up needing to to fit in instead of stand out because if we get abolished or banished or you know, exiled from the group, we don't survive out there. So there's a deep instinct for fear of being rejected, a deep impulse to try to be part of the herd that very few people break and become the, the, the square pegs and the round holes and the misfits, as Steve Jobs said, to actually go out and make a difference in the world. Most people fit in. And so the anxiety of not fitting in is is huge. And the thing is, is if you do fit in, you deluded yourself and lost your identity into the collective heroist state. Ernest Becker in his uh, Denial of Death, a Pulitzer Prize winning book, describes the two paths we can take, the one or the many, the hero of individuality or the hero of collective society. The collective society is a loss of the soul, but a survival of the body. One's a survival pathway and the other one's a thrival pathway. They would rather have the whole world against them their own soul. Very few people are willing to do that, but those are the people that make the mark in history. You can't make a difference fitting in. You can only make a difference standing out.
0: Now, when we were talking before, we we talked about voids. We talked about values and fulfillment. And I know that's something that that you've talked about is fulfillment means the filling of the perceptually empty voids and the hierarchy of your voids determines the hierarchy of your values. I'd love if you could speak to that.
1: Well, every time you judge somebody and you are too humble to admit what you see in them is inside you, you're conscious of the upsides, unconscious of the downsides in them. You become conscious of your downsides and unconscious of the upsides in you because you're too humble to admit what you see in them inside you. So you have a deflective awareness and you deflect what you see in them and you think they got something I don't. This man thought he had no success. He was deflecting it, but he had success of the same magnitude. It was in a different form, just as valuable. So because he deflected it and didn't honor the form his was, he envied the other person, tried to imitate them, injected the values of them, and then beat himself up because he wasn't living up to the expectations. But you can't live up to somebody else's values. You can only live up to your own. So this is a disowned part. Anytime we're too humble to admit what we see in others inside ourselves, that's a disowned part. And then at other times, we look down on people and we exaggerate ourselves. And now we're conscious of their downsides, unconscious of their upsides, and conscious of their upsides and unconscious of our downsides. Now we're too proud to admit what we see in them is inside us. We're disowning, deflecting, and dismembering that. And that's another void. And every time we judge Whatever we judge, it and its opposite, together, we create a void out of. It's an emptiness inside. Judgment doesn't lead to fulfillment. It leads to an emptiness. And we feel that there's something missing in us. A statement I've made that at the level of our own soul, the state of unconditional love, nothing's missing in us because we're just level. We're not judging. At the level of our senses, where we have contrast and judgment, things seem to be missing. And these are all the things we're too proud or too humble to admit we have that we see in other people, like this gentleman. The moment we have something missing, we have a void, and it wants to be fulfilled because we're here to love. We're here to love ourselves. We all want to be loved and appreciated for who we are. We want to love and appreciate the people for who they are. They want that same thing. So, to the degree that we have reflective awareness and realize that what we see in others is inside us, it's in our own form and our own values, but it's not missing. We have fulfillment, and that's what I did with the gentleman. I helped him realize that he wasn't missing success. It was in his own form, according to his own values and he was expecting it to be in somebody else's. And whenever we envy other people and put them on a pedestal, we skew and have a dysmorphia of our own perception of our own physiology and psychology and think that somehow something's missing. But actually nothing's ever missing in people's lives. I love helping people go, okay, well I missed this in life. Okay, what form is it in? And I make them ask that question until they discover the form it's in. The guy thought he was missing success. It wasn't missing. I, th- I thought I'm missing affection. I had people come up and say, well, I have, my father wasn't affectionate. Good. When he wasn't affectionate, who was? Well, my coach. Who else? My teacher. Who else? My friends. Who else? My dog. Great. What was the benefit of them being affectionate? What was the drawback to your dad been affected? Well, my dad had been affectionate, I'd probably been more dependent. I wouldn't have been driven. I'm more of an entrepreneur and more socially savvy because of that. Great. Nothing was missing. It was in a form you didn't honor. Honor the form in which it is, quit comparing it to other people's forms and liberate yourself from a lot of crazies in your consciousness. And you're free and you have fulfillment, not emptiness.
0: That's it's powerful. And and I and I see and feel that in myself. I've I've gone through that where I was envious of what people had in terms of you know success or whatever, and, and why have they got this and why why do I not, et cetera. And then it's through my own transformation I now get to uh, to look back and realize why I have got the success that I have now that I may not have perceived then and realize, just like you said, it's hierarchy of values. If you're putting values into relationships, you probably pay more attention to your relationships. You probably, you know, act differently, perceive differently compared to if I'm putting values into money and business. And I probably, you know, as you said, may sacrifice or focus less and and put energy there. So I think that, yeah, if, if, If you're listening to this and you're hearing this and you're thinking, hey, I don't have success in one area, you should probably probably look at what we're saying and, and maybe take some different actions. I wanted to ask you about legacy. Is the idea of leaving a legacy an important component of our pursuit of success or achievement, or do you think it's a hindrance?
1: I think it's a byproduct of authenticity. When you're living according to what you value most, you tend to increase the probability of achievement your self-worth goes up. And because you achieve what you set out, you tend to want to achieve something greater. And so you keep expanding the space and time horizons of the next achievement. Eventually, the space and time horizons get bigger than your own house and bigger than your own life. And you start having goals and visions that outlast your life. And when you do, you set up structures to help you fulfill something that's beyond your life. And wow, welcome to the legacy that you just formed. Heraclitus was a philosopher back in the 6th century to 5th century, and he basically was talking about immortality, and that's the path of immortality. And uh, Elizabeth Burroughs also wrote a book called The Path of the Immortals, and the immortals were those individuals that were authentically living congruently by what they valued most and building incremental momentum towards something profound, and because every human being wants to live that way, they're drawn and magnetized to people who exemplify authenticity, and they automatically build up momentum of other people trying to help them fulfill that dream because they're they want to be around somebody who's authentic. As as Emerson said when you're enthused and inspired by what you do, you're you're so on fire people kind of you know they want to be around you to watch you burn you might say see that enthusiasm. And I'm a firm believer that immortality is a byproduct of authenticity. Your soul is the immortal part of you that uh, doesn't uh, think in terms of success. It's a man on a mission more so than said, I don't ever think of success. People say, well, how did you be so successful? I never think about that. I don't like the term success and failure. I don't use those terms. I think if you think you're successful, it means you got a small vision and you have little experience. And if you have a failure, you have, uh, you're obviously are pursuing something that's not true for you. And so all that is, is just a feedback to humble you and to lift you up. Whenever you think you're successful, you tend to set bigger goals, too big a goal in too short a time frame to humble you. when you're feeling a failure, you set two smaller goals in too long a time, which make you rise back up. They're just feedback mechanisms to get you in the center where you're a, a man or a woman on a mission, not attaching to the illusions of success and failure. I don't put those terms in my language. I'm just a man on a mission. I keep reading and teaching and doing it and people can label them whatever they want. I have people that think that I'm a success because it matches similar to values to them. People think I'm a failure because it doesn't match their values. I don't pay attention to other people's opinions of me and their projection of their values. I pay attention to my own actions relative to the dreams that I feel in my heart. I'm here to pursue my my mission in life. And I find by doing that, people can label me whatever they want. That's that. I had lunch yesterday with a very wealthy billionaire, and uh, you know I could easily compare myself to him financially, but then he 'd have to compare himself to me intellectually. so you know it's, it's a level playing field as far as I'm concerned. I have my billions in intellectual property, he has his billions in, in optical equipment. We, we both have our billionaireship, and we both have our intelligence in different areas. If I don't want to be him, he doesn't want to be me. We both want to be ourselves. I was asked by. Vogue Magazine, I was interviewed by Vogue Magazine a number of years ago, and they asked me 17 questions, and they were a little bit superficial compared to what I normally get, but still nice questions. The last question was, Dr. DeMartini, if there's anybody on the planet you could be, who would you want to be? And I looked at him, I thought, what a bizarre question. Why would I want to be anybody but me? They go, really? You have nobody you want to be like or be? I said, No. I want to be me. I had no desire to be somebody other than me. And they they go, oh, okay. They thought that was odd. I think most people envy and try to imitate other people instead of be themselves. I think the old Delphic Oracle said it well. Know yourself, know your highest values, be yourself, live by priority, and you'll love yourself.
0: Mm. Because you said it before, right? We don't we don't always perceive what other I'm going to say pains or struggles that that people have, what based on their their hierarchy of values, and we we only see the things that we want to see because we think that we want them.
1: We filter our reality according to our values. It's interesting. I I love teaching. I mean, I do it. This is my sixth program, sixth presentation today. So what's interesting is people go, "Well, why would you want to do that?" And I go, "Because I love it." And they go, "But what do you do to to for inner for you know recreation?" I go. That is recreation. I said, listen, you have a different set of values. You're projecting what would be fulfilling to you onto me and assuming I'm supposed to be doing those things for me to be fulfilled. And this is one of the most ridiculous things you'll ever do is let other people project how you're supposed to be fulfilled according to their values. It won't work. What, What fulfills me is not what fulfills somebody else. And they're not wrong. And I'm not right. And I'm not wrong. And they're not right. They're just different. And there's a full spectrum of values across the planet. Some are very dedicated to social causes. Some are dedicated to intellectual pursuits. Some are dedicated to business. Some are into wealth. They measure their life by their wealth. Some measured by their fitness. All of them are, are valid and they're all them, themselves, but you just be, be yourself. But you can empower all of them. I'm a firm believer you can empower all of them in what you see it to be, not what other people are thinking it should be. My idea of what my life is is different. I have no desire to live in a little suburban little house somewhere. I live around the world, sailing around the world or flying around the world. I've said the universe is my playground. The world is my home. Every country's a room in the house. Every city is a platform to show heart and soul. I studied uh, Einstein when I was 18. I studied Epictetus and Socrates and the great thinkers and philosophers. And most of them said I wasn't a man of my community or city or state or nation. I was a citizen of the world or a citizen of the universe. And I loved that. It just resonated with me. And I said, OK, great. So I'm going to be home everywhere. Every, I can never leave home. Instead of me walking to room to room in the house, I fly from country to country, which are rooms in my home. It's all, it's all a perspective. We have a Zoom now. We can do it anywhere in the world. Last year, I did 250 million people talking on Zoom. Okay, I, I reach people in every country around the world by that. So as far as I'm concerned, they're all in my house right now, living in my house, and we're having a great time. It's all perspective. I trained my kids that way too. So they didn't get caught in the idea that if I don't have it this way, I missed out. That's insanity. Nothing's missing. I was in Nepal and I was meeting with a Bampa Lama and I went to his temple there. And I was doing debates and conversations with the Lamas in Tibet. And then I came in Nepal and I met with him. And we had a conversation. The one conversation we had is, he said, so many people think things missing, but nothing ever missing. I said, exactly. It's all present. You're not aware of it because you are comparing the form it's into something you think is a better form. The attachment to forms the Buddha warned against. And we get caught to that. And then we label things. And I think that there's higher priority things to be focusing on life, in my opinion. To have sustainable transactions and fair exchange with human beings is the most fulfilling thing that we feel we can do in life. Make a difference in people's lives and getting equitably rewarded for doing that is really profoundly important. I have
0: one last question for you that I love asking everybody. Uh, What's the most important thing you ever learned?
1: I think we've said it. Identify what's really you're feeling your heart called to do And give yourself permission to pursue it. I was so grateful that I met Paul Bragg that night. I saw a vision. That vision is painted in my office by Andrew Tischler from Melbourne, Australia. He painted it for me. And it's a vision of me standing in front of a million people speaking with a building from every major city around the world, an iconic building from around the world. And I said, I'm a man on a mission. And um, I'm here to have a message for Planet. And I believe that that's what's true for me? And and finding out what that's true for you, finding that one thing that you can't wait to get up in the morning and do, finding that that thing that is so inspiring to you that you want to solve problems that serve people, to me, is is the key. Now, that could be serving it of a family level or it could be a community level or a city level, but whatever level it's at, if you do it masterfully, it's going to keep growing. You don't get smaller uh, problems in your life, you get bigger ones. And, and how big of problems can you solve It will determine the magnitude of the fulfillment you get in your life. So don't shrink from problems, tackle them. Take them on.
0: I really appreciate you, you coming on the show. Uh, I definitely have learned a lot and, and, and that's what this is about for me and, and hopefully those listening have as well. What are you working on at the moment that you can share with us and, and people can check out?
1: Well, I'm just in the last final edits. Uh, I'll have it ready probably in three weeks of a 1,300-page textbook on the greatest minds who ever lived. And it's the great philosophers, Nobel Prize winners, scientists, theologians, people that left a mark on the planet. I've summarized some of their essence of their teachings, and I put it together into a text. And I'm presenting that to people in three major locations in the world coming up. And I can't wait to do that. I'm looking forward to sharing some of the greatest ideas from the greatest minds who lived. When I was... um, I was 18, about to go on to 19th birthday. My mom said to me, Son, what do you want for your birthday? You're gonna be 19 soon. What do you want? And I said, I want the greatest teachings on the face of the earth by the greatest minds who ever lived. And she said, You sure you don't want a t-shirt? I said, No, mom, I want to I want great knowledge and great wisdom. And she said, Let me see what I can do. So she sent, she was, she contacted her, her my uncle, her brother. And he was from, he used to lecture at MIT, and he sent. Two giant six by six by six foot wooden crates of books down to my house on a flatbed truck. And I remember them being loaded on the ground. I got a coral bar and I opened them up and carried as many books as I can, 10 or 15 books at a time and walked in and put them in my room and organized them. And I I just started going to work. And I wanted to stand on the shoulders of great minds. And then I wanted to do a contribution on the planet on the same caliber. I want to be able to say, you know what? I remember Isaac Eisenhoff, the the scientist, science fiction writer. I remember seeing his his name mentioned everywhere in a a thousand books or something. And I said, when I was 22 years old, I said, I want to make a contribution on the planet big enough where a thousand books are written about it. And we're over 700 now. We're right at the 700 mark right now. So I measure the fulfillment in life by the difference that you make. And if you've got metrics on that, it inspires you to want to continue to do something that serves. This has been incredible. Uh, Thank
0: you so much. I really appreciate you for coming on.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me on. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity again.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode. Everything shared will be in the description of the episode, so you can go and grab that. Now if you enjoyed the show and you want to listen to more, please subscribe because every week we're releasing new episodes with inspiring people, successful people, so you can level up your game. So subscribe and also leave us a review. We'd love to hear feedback about the show and your thoughts and opinions there as well. Now if you wanna have more success, whether it's in your life, whether it's in your business, we run live trainings every single week where you can get access to me to coach you through everything from health, wealth, success, business, We're doing topics on all things that you need to live a better, more inspired, and successful life. Live trainings every single week. Just visit jamesnielsonwatt.com forward slash live and you can get access to that now. There's also a ton of resources that you get for just listening to the show. All of that will be in the description. So if you are watching this on YouTube, check the description. If you're listening to this episode, check the description. We've got a load of resources there for you to have more success in your life, whether it's relationships, investing, or in business. I'll see you on the next episode. And as always, subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends because there's somebody else that needs to be hearing this, and maybe you're their opportunity to help them level up their game.